right, good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Tell you what, take your Bibles out real quick. I'm not really going to preach, but I do want to be preachy. <laughs> Turn to uh, Acts chapter 14, and I'll show you something that uh, I'm sure many a missionary has used as a launching board to uh, do what we're going to do tonight. Uh, if you remember in the book of Acts, they were sent out and they sailed and walked and used animals to get to various cities to preach the gospel, and then they came back home. And uh, this isn't necessarily our home, but um, it is a place that we're stopping to tell our story. And uh, I, I do, I really do hope you get a blessing. Uh, you know, when we get home to heaven, it's, it's going to take an eternity to, to just tell each other stories and, and, and to hear the exploits of the Lord. And uh, I'm just going to take about 40, 45 minutes this evening, and I promise I'll try to keep it as interesting as I can. Look at uh, Acts chapter 14 with me. It says, uh, verse 24, And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Custer, and thence sailed to Rapid City, and from whence they were recommended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith unto the Germans. And there they abode long time with the disciples. You think I've done that a lot of times. This is the first time I've ever done that. That's, that's just how creative I am. <laughs> uh, so, so and, and now turn over, if you would, to Second Timothy chapter 2. And that's the verse you see up on the prayer card behind me, Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. Uh, I want you to imagine, if you will, a 17-year-old boy whose parents signed documents so that he could uh, enlist and, and end up overseas in a uh, barracks in, uh, in Nuremberg, Germany. And with the thumping of the uh, boom, boom boxes in Friday night in the, uh, in the barracks, uh, I'm sitting there reading the Bible and understanding it for the first time. And uh, the Lord gives me these verses, and I mean literally tears running down my cheeks. And these verses were sealed to my heart, and it was my commission. I was commissioned by the Lord. Verse uh, chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Thou therefore be my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And uh, since I've been going for the Lord, my desire, my design has been to, uh, to, to find faithful men and to teach them what the Lord's taught me and to try and get them get out into the ministry or to offer at least the opportunity to get into the ministry. So let me, let me start uh, by giving you my testimony of salvation. We'll get to this in just a minute. I'm 15 years old and I'm standing on an Opel Manta, which is a German car. And I'm, in, uh, I'm at 1002 Allgood Road, Atlanta, Georgia. I found out you're a Georgian. I knew I liked you, but I just didn't know why. And um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm in a black sweatpants and a yellow sweat top. It's around uh, late April, and I'm standing on this car getting ready for my 16th birthday. I had bought the car with my own money. The uh, stereo system I put in it was more expensive than the car. And um, I got the seats taken out. I'm excited. My heart's beating. And I had been working construction and, um, with my stepfather. And one of the guys on the site got saved. His name is Daryl. He's about 19, 20 years old. He pulled up in his old rusty Malibu into our driveway. And he got out and he was smiling and he walked over to me. I, I remember it like it was yesterday, him walking over to me, smiling real big. And it was really odd because he listened to heavy metal music and basically was not a smiling kind of a guy. And uh, so he said, Thomas, he said, listen, I got saved and I really want you to come to church with me. Now, uh, is anybody here from the South? It's, oh, okay, good. Well, let me, let me tell you all some, those of you who are not from the South, 
If you're from the South and you talk like this and you say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, no, sir, may I be excused from the table, and that was a mighty fine meal, ma'am. If you talk like that, you're going to heaven. <laughs> That's the way we think down there. We're just, you know, just crazy people. And um, so I was raised in a home where we had a big old thick, fat family Bible on the, car, on the coffee table, and mother put everything in it but our eyes. And I mean, prom, you know, uh, prom uh, uh, flowers and, and birthday cards and everything but our eyes, you know. And um, <clears throat> so I walk in, I say, Mom, well, can I go to church? And, and she says, sure, I don't care. And so I go. And they did something that, uh, let me say this, I've tried to win people to Christ now for over 30 years. And I'm, I'm relatively familiar with, with what it feels like to look into a man's eyes and to kind of gauge and sense if he's ready. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. Uh, we don't just offer salvation to anybody and everybody. And I have to say this, that these people that led me to Christ did it in such a way, I'm absolutely thankful that I had such a healthy new birth. They sent me home lost. And when I went back to church, they sent me home lost again. And when I went back to church, they sent me home lost again. They were not so eager to be able to report another soul saved that they gave me or presented me with a cheap parroted salvation. And so uh, they sent me home with, uh, actually sent me home with homework. I had to go through the book of Galatians and look up words like concupiscence and lasciviousness and fornication. And I thought I got away with the fornication until they told me that you could do that in your mind too. And I went, mm. 15 years old, Rrr. check, 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 check. And lost, loster, lostest. And <clears throat> when it came time for me to get saved, they they said, Thomas, we want to make sure that you really understand it. And, and listen, guys, if you're a soul winner here, if you've ever led anybody to Christ, if you ever tried to lead anybody to Christ, there is a huge difference between here and here. I mean, it's about 12 inches, but boy, what a difference. And I granted mental assent to everything they said. You're lost? Yes, I'm lost. Uh, you're a sinner? I'm a sinner. And, and I've been there with people, but you can tell they have sort of a... a, a um, relaxed manner in which they say it. There's no real conviction there. Yes, I'm lost. Yes, I know. Yes, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes. And that's about where I was. And they said, Thomas, do you understand that if you were the only one on the face of the earth when Christ was crucified, that you would have to pick up the hammer and the nails and drive him into his hands and feet? I've always had a very, very vivid imagination, and I pictured myself driving a railroad spike into the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, and I rebelled in my mind, and I said, no, no, I wouldn't do that. So you have to understand, even after all of the academic, intellectual efforts to get me lost, I still wasn't lost. And so at that moment, I'm still touting my own self-righteousness and saying, I'm not the kind of guy that would do that. And they said, listen, if nobody else was present on the earth when Christ was crucified, he would have still needed to die for your sins, otherwise there'd be no salvation. And I cannot tell you how thankful I am that they took me to that point because a little twig in my heart went and broke. And that was when I was ready and they saw that. And uh, they said, and I asked them, having never read the book of Acts, I said, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to make this right? And they said, they said, let Jesus's death and burial and resurrection, what he did, let that be the payment for your sins. I've always thought it amazing. Every time you try to grab a sinner out of the crowd and pull him forward like this to the limelight, you're a sinner. He comforts himself by ducking back into the crowd and saying, yes, we're all sinners. That's about where I was. And I've seen that dozens and dozens of times since my salvation. It's, um, it, it's, it's nothing you have to go to school for. It's just automatic. That's the way we are. We like to hide in the crowd. 
So I get, uh, I get saved. I bow my head, and I didn't come out a preemie. I didn't come out jaundiced. I didn't come out uh, uh, needing uh, uh, you know, prenatal care or anything like that. I came out a Campbell's Soup Kid, fat cheeks, and screaming for the Word of God. Hey. Ah, I want it! And I, and I went home, and I pushed open the screen door, and I said, Mama, we got to talk. Yep. I, said, I said, are you saved? And, she, and if you ask a Southerner if they're saved, it's almost like insulting them. Of course I'm saved. Because what they hear is, are you a good person? And of course I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody. And I asked my mother, are you saved? And she said, yes, I'm saved. And I said, mother, how'd you get saved? And she said, Harry P. Wooten was preaching at the Rex Baptist Church, the Southern Baptist Church down in Rex, Georgia. You know where that is? Rex, Georgia? On the south side of Atlanta. And uh, he asked us to come forward and I prayed a prayer. And I said, mama, what'd you pray? And she said, now that's enough, boy. We've talked enough about this. And I went, that's a strange reaction for someone who says they're saved. And why am I asking her about this? And why did she ever ask me about this? Why have we never talked about this? Parents divorced when I was seven. Now I'm 15. I go down to the south side of Atlanta where my father lives in Jonesboro. Know that? Okay. And uh, not that it makes a difference. (laughs) Just just, Just feels good to have somebody who knows where Jonesboro is. And uh, so, so dad, I, I said, I said, dad, I said, Hey, are you saved? And, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, I'm saved. I said, how'd you get saved? He said, uh, um, um, uh, what's his name? Yeah. Billy Graham. Billy Graham uh, came, came through here, did a big evangelization and I went forward and prayed a prayer. And I said, what'd you pray dad? And he said, all right, that's, that's enough. He said, listen, I told you I'm saved and I just leave it at that. Michelob, Daisy Dukes. You know, hee-haw, you know, never going to church, never reading any Bible, just, just a typical Southern, unconverted, fake Christian life. So I'm, I'm, for the very first time, I'm assimilating data, and I'm noticing that my ex- salvation experience was nothing like the people around me who say they're saved, but have absolutely no hint of the smell of salvation, much less any deeds. And so I go to school, I start witnessing to everybody at school, they make fun of me. This is back in the days when Tammy Faye Baker, uh, you know, has the big eyelashes and the air-conditioned dog houses and, you know, and so they're making fun of me at school. I'm at Sprayberry High School and, uh, you know that one? Wow, neat. Again, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, so I'm at Sprayberry High School and I lead my first friend to Christ. All of my other friends rejected me. And uh, uh, this one fellow, kind of a nerd in school, nobody really liked him much, but uh, he opened up his heart and he received the Lord Jesus Christ. So there I am, no more than three months old in the Lord, and I've led my first soul to Christ. It felt so good, I wanted to do it again. If you've never led anybody to Christ, you might be bored as a Christian, and that's the reason. Because there's only one thing better than getting saved yourself, that's watching somebody else or leading somebody else to Christ. And it can be done, and it should be done by, yes, by average church, church members and Christians. So I, uh, I, I come home one day and, and I had, I, I, listen, I bought my own car when I was 15. I had four digits in the bank and, um, and I came home and, and my parents had found out I was tithing now. I was giving money to the church and I come in and my sister from Virginia is sitting on the left side of the couch and uh, from Norfolk. And I said, Holly, what are you doing here? And then my mom was there. She was home every day. And right next to my mom sat my stepdad, 2.30 in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. What are you doing here? You should be out on the job site. And then sits my father next to my stepfather. And I've never seen that picture before. I said, what in the world's going on? It was an intervention. They said, son, you're brainwashed and you're in a cult. 
and now they're getting your money. Your father, your genius father, has looked for the church in the Better Business Bureau and couldn't find it. Therefore, it's a cult. Do y'all see that at home? That's my genius lost father who got supposedly saved under Billy Graham couldn't find the church I was attending in the Better Business Bureau. A church isn't a business. Anyway, so they said, we're, we've sold the house, we're selling the business, and we're moving up to Yankee land. We're moving up to Virginia. And I said, no, I'm staying here and I'm going to church. I choose God over my family. And mother, she stood up and she said, that's Georgian for no, you're not going to leave. You're my son. I love you. This is not happening. And I have to interpret and she stomped off to the bedroom, and I followed her, and it was a big Georgia mess, just a hot, you know, uh, Jerry Springer kind of a thing. And uh, mother fell backwards. Mother sat on the bed. She said, you're my baby. You're not going to. And her eyes rolled back in the back of her head, and she fell backwards and passed out. I jumped over on top of her, and I said, Mama, Mama. I didn't know what happened. I said, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. And so I capitulated to the will of my parents. <laughs> Can you see it? <laughs> And uh, so the next thing I know, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm in Virginia. I'm wrestling in the high school wrestling team. I'm fit, nothing like today. <laughs> I'm lifeguarding. I've got spiked blonde hair. I'm wearing a herringbone gold, herring, herring gold chain. I've got a really pretty girlfriend. And sure, father's rich. And he's got a, she, she, she was received for her 16th birthday, not an opal manta that somebody was sanding on. She got a Mustang 5.0 ragtop. And so, obviously, we used her car when we went out. <laughs> and Satan began to give this saved boy from Georgia everything that a boy would need to be distracted, including good looks and popularity and nice clothes and a beautiful girlfriend and fitness and everything that a young boy would want to be cool and popular and in. And I'm standing there in parties holding wine coolers and other things and the Holy Spirit kicking me in the back of the head saying, you know, you, this is not you, you are. You know better, this is not you. And I, would, I was there on the scene and I was part of the, the stuff. Nothing ever really happened, but uh, I knew I was wrong. So come 17, I didn't know that there was a will of God. I didn't know that God was, was interested in the details of my life, that he had something specific for me. So I did what any kid would do. I knew that we didn't have money for my par parents to send me to college. I knew I wanted to go to college. And back in those days, you were about half brainwashed that, from the government that if you didn't go to college, you're a loser. You're going to end up being a garbage man is what they told us. Garbage men make pretty good money. Is there a garbage man here? <laughs> Which one? Who? Oh, amen. Amen. So <clears throat> that's what they told us. So I wanted to go off to college. And so I joined the army. And I go through basic training, my, my, my weeks in basic training. I do rocket propelled grenades. I throw hand grenades. I shoot M16, the 50 caliber, sniper rifle, all that stuff, do all that fun stuff. I'm 17 years old, and then I go to AIT, Advanced Individual Training. Is this a military community? So y'all know what I'm talking about. Good, amen. So I'm off in AIT, and then I'm standing in the day, I'm sitting in the day room as they start at the top of the roster. Now, uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, the um, recruiter, uh, it, it, he said that I could stay in Virginia Beach, and, and I'd be right next to my girlfriend and my family, and that basically I'd be putting on a pickle suit and, and just going to do a normal nine to five every day. And that's about what army life would be like for me, you know, just sign right here, the dotted line. And of course, since then, I've learned that all recruiters are liars and shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone. 
Are there any recruiters in here? <laughs> I want to talk to you after church. And um, <clears throat> so there I am in the day room. Anderson, you're going to South Carolina. Baker, you're going to uh, uh, Fort, uh, Fort, Fort Lewis or whatever. And uh, Castellaw and everything just went into slow motion. Germany. No! Where's Germany? What's Germany? All I knew was Zeke Heil and dead Jews and bratwurst. That's all I knew about Germany. I knew nothing. I didn't pay attention in, in my public schooling. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not homeschooled. I'm not smart. If you're homeschooled, man, you're, you're smart. You know, you're public schooled. So I, 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 I'm, I, and then Uncle Sam swallows me like a big green whale and he spits me out in Germany. So there I am. I come home from work one day, open up the barracks door. There's my roommate doing something I've never seen before. I mean, I'm, I'm a clean kid for the most part. And, and I slammed the door and the Holy Spirit again deals with me and said, if you don't get into church, what you just saw is your future. You better get into church. And so I went looking for church and one church led me to another church. And, uh, and up until this point, I got to say this, every church I had been in, the preacher was about like Charlie Brown's teacher. And that's about all I ever got out of church. I really loved my first church, but it really wasn't any better than that. But I went into my first Bible-believing church where he believed the King James Bible was the Word of God. Is that okay around here? Is that all right? Yeah. And he stomped and he snorted and he was dogmatic and phlegmatic. And he said, your mama's wrong. And the King James Bible's right. And your mamaw's wrong. And the King James Bible's right. And he said, and your denomination's wrong if it crosses the King James Bible. And I said, wow, man, this is the same spirit that I received the day I got saved. And I've never seen somebody else talk like that. And I sat on the front row and in very, very short time, I would say about six weeks, the Lord called me to preach. And um, I, I knew, and my call to preach was more of a voluntary thing. I, I, to this day, I don't know if the Lord himself actually wants me in the ministry, but it's worked out pretty good for the last 30 years. But I knew this, I want, I want to make other people feel about this book the way that preacher made me feel about the book. And so I joined the Bible Institute. I graduated the Bible Institute. I got out of the military, did a European out in 1993. 1993, I married Miss Angie. She's a German. And so I am... Uh, uh, germ-free. I'm, 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 I've been uh, anesthetized, sanitized, lanolized. No germs going to get to me. Anyway, that was funny the last church I said it. <laughs> anyway, so I married Miss Angie, and we've been married now for 27 years. This year I'll be our 27th year, and um, all of our children are spiritual kids. We don't have any physical kids. So I'll show them to you in just a minute. And uh, so th there I am now, I'm, in the, I'm out of the military, I'm working on staff at this church, I'm married to a German, I have a German visa, I have a, a, a speaking nominal German at that time, it's back in the, in the mid, early 90s, and, uh, and so then the preacher that I'm with, five years later, he leaves. And so I was on staff making about $200 a month living in the church basement, and so at this time there's nowhere left to go, nothing left to do, and it was clear to me, speaking nominal German with a German wife and a German visa that the Lord wanted us in Mexico. <laughs> no, no, no. No, we, we, went on visit, we went on deputation, and in a very short period we raised our support and we went back to Germany, and we started Bible Baptist Church. Now this is where the slides come in. And... Bible Baptist Church was intended to be a military ministry in English, but I knew from my past experience, not only personally, but in our church, that Germans would come. And so I'll tell you right now that what happened was, uh, effectually, we had an American church in English for GIs 
with a side Bible study on Thursday nights in German. And about 2009, we hit about this point right here. And then the army said, we're pulling all the, the German, we're pulling, pulling all the GIs out of Heidelberg. And so we made a very, very difficult decision to stay there. And as the Americans bled off, the Germans came and we became a German work. And so it was about 10 years of each. And so somewhere in this time here, um, we rented that house and we started having church in that house. We cleared out all the furniture. We had uh, uh, um, about 30 folding chairs in place of all my furniture. We moved it all out. And so the doorbell rings and we're all sitting shoulder to shoulder, ding dong. And we're already using the bedroom for a Sunday school class, uh, which is weird. And we're using the kitchen for, for a nursery and it was just completely cramped. And so I said, do you guys want to rent something? And we did. And so we rented that. I want to go ahead and cut to the chase. I think I have a little laser. I do. That fellow right there, he, um, he's the pastor of the church today. So I'll show you him towards the end. And, um, we, there, each one of these guys have a special story, and it was a real blessing. All these are Germans right here, and this was right in the middle of us um, uh, having church, just preaching, having a great time. And, uh, and I'm doing German Bible studies on the side, and some of the Germans want to come to the English services. And there's so much to say about what happened. You know, somewhere in the beginning, um, whether arbitrarily or inspired of the Lord, I just bowed my head and I just kind of sighed a prayer. It wasn't anything formal or official. I never did frame it and work towards these goals. But I said, Lord, if you'd give me seven preachers, I'd feel like I made a contribution to the body of Christ. If you'd give, me, if you'd give us a church building one day, because right now we're renting. So we saved our money. And so if you'd give us a church building, Lord, if you'd give us a publishing ministry uh, with our own printing presses and published books. I said, Lord, I feel like I've made a contribution. And Lord, if you give us a big, fat, beautiful bookstore where we can just push the word of God in so many different ways and get it out in so many different ways, Lord, if you give me, just do those things. And then I literally, as the Lord is my witness, I completely forgot about that up until about 2017, 2018, when the Lord reminded me that I had asked the Lord about those things. So, and I'll come back to that in a minute. <clears throat> so these folks get saved and it was a real blessed time and just enjoying people getting saved. And we ran out of room. We got up to about 120 in that rented facility and uh, we had been saving our money. At this time, we had already purchased another building for so and so many thousand. And uh, we had a publishing ministry in it with about 250,000 worth of printing equipment, four people on staff living in that building. And then uh, the day came that my printer had some family problems. He needed to go back to America. And it also came at the time when my Swiss manager said that we still doing the best we can with our printing ministry. We still can't uh, beat the prices of the conglomerate down the street and, uh, and so we made a very hard decision to dissolve the physical part of the printing ministry. We still do the translating, the intellectual part, and the typesetting, and we give it off now. We farm it out. Um, so we dissolved that, and with that money, we ended up buying uh, this property. It's a 19,000-square-foot property on about 1.5 acres, I think. And, um, and it was really in need of renovation. So we put a new facade on it, and we continued holding church in the back in a hermetically sealed off, very dusty room. And uh, <clears throat> we put up insulation and vapor barriers and new heating system. The heating system was older than I was. And we put in a, a tile, 19,000 square feet. My wife got a new bookstore. We did all of the electricity. That's one of about four distribution boxes we put in. We put on a new roof. There's about two football fields of roof up there. And, uh, and then a great story, we uh, got a commercial uh, industrial kitchen. The Holy Spirit often would lead us to go to the local Chinese restaurant, and just in sheer obedience, we'd go. And, um, and one time I got there, and, and Mr. Leem, about five foot three, met me at the door. I always felt good around him. I felt tall and 
bigger. Uh, and uh, Mr. Leem said, he says, Mr. Costello, he said, I'm finished. I'm not a racist. I'm a racist. He says, Mr. Costello. I said, what's up, Mr. Miyagi? He said, he said, I'm finished. I'm done. I'm sick of this. I'm old. And so I thought, see, I'm a Japhethite. I thought, you got a kitchen back there. And I said, what are you going to do with all that kitchen stuff? Now, he, he played his cards too quickly. He showed me his hand. He said, I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to pay my last month's rent. So later on in the conversation, I said, so what do you pay for rent around here anyway? He said, about 3500 I went, oh, okay. Yes, yes. So you know what I did, if you're paying attention. I, I'm a Baptist. I offered him 3000 for everything you're looking at, and I got it. I paid 3000 for everything you're looking at. And we spent about the next week, no joke, you're going to laugh, but I don't mean it as be funny. We spent about a week getting all the Chinese grease off of it. Both sides just, just nasty. But that's what happened. That's what it came of. And it just, I mean, we got everything. We got a big old Dunstabzugshaube and we got a, a, a Kombidempfer and we got all these, you put five turkeys in that thing. Just wonderful. We got all the paraphernalia. We got boxes of chopsticks and we took them because we like free. <clears throat> then, that resonates with Baptist, doesn't it? Free. So we, we got the facade on and the pavers and the gate and the fence. That was the entrance. Now, at this point, we have six guys in full-time ministry. And uh, six guys that came through our church. And, and uh, I taught 39 courses in our Bible Institute. We hit it hard. I mean, we're doing manuscript evidence. We're doing uh, church history. We're doing homiletics, hermeneutics. I'm teaching the entire curriculum. And then, I turned, uh, then I'm doing it in German. Manuscript evidence in German, teaching in German, is not an easy task. And so uh, uh, we, we put everything on pause while we're building the building. That's what the building looked like uh, when we were finished. A big, beautiful mothership come down from heaven, all lit up and beautiful with 80 parking spots and a big, nice yard. Now, for American standards, that's nothing. But for German standards, very, very, very few churches own their own private yard like that. We played volleyball and had all kinds of great times. And four classrooms for the kids and two nurseries with heated floors, an auditorium that would seat 300, and um, <clears throat> we finished the job. And uh, people just kept coming. Now, I have to say at this point right here, um, and, and sometimes churches don't understand this, so just, just bear with me. Even if you don't understand it from your heart, you'll understand it with your head. At this point now, I've got six guys in the ministry, and everything's done. For the first time uh, in, in my ministry, we've built a really nice building. Uh, my office was so nice, I couldn't even put it in here. Just, it, would, it wouldn't make you feel sorry for me as a missionary. I just had such a beautiful office with leather couches, and it was just, man, it was so nice. And um, so I, I, at this point, everything's feeling very, very normal. And, and what I mean by that is I coined a phrase from SEAL Team 6 to kindergarten cop, and I felt like all I was doing was pastoring. Now, I don't, again, I don't know if you understand that, because for you and for you, that's your goal, to pastor, to love people, to visit them in the hospital, to, to be there when their kids reach that age and they're ready to get saved, and that's just regular church life, and it's good, and it's right. And if it weren't for guys like you, it, it wouldn't be, there couldn't be guys like me. But the way I look at missionaries is we're, we're like the first one in. We're the, we're the SEAL team. We go in and break ground. We go in and start something where there's nothing. We're the ones that scale walls and, and learn languages and integrate. And, um, and that, I mean, that's the only reason that I've got this weight here is just so I fit in in Germany. I mean, I needed to look like the part. So that and this, that's, that's the only reason. And I just had to bear my cross, you know. <laughs> All right, little, little, little uh, you know, embellishment there. So, 
things were feeling very normal, and the Lord started dealing with me in a very peculiar way. And um, it was a, something that I had never experienced before. At this time, I'm about 44, 45 years old, and the Lord's uh, dealing with me in a way. And I'd always heard preachers say, I think the Lord's done with me here. And I always looked at that and said, what? Well, you're just running from a problem. But we didn't have any problems. We, everything was paid for. Uh, we had a renter on the west side of the building that rented one small room, and he was a crazy rich white guy who had really nice cars, and he basically just parked his nice cars in a garage that we built for him, and he paid us our mortgage. Our mortgage was paid every month. I had two German guys on staff. We had a church full of people with visitors coming all the time, uh, but the Lord started cutting heartstrings, and if you could imagine a big Navy rope that holds a ship in place at dock, and then surgical snips, just little bitty stainless steel, and the Lord started cutting heart strings and health strings and just started kind of like a, a mother eagle wants her baby to fly, just, just started pulling the, 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 the furs out of the nest. And all I'm feeling is, spiritually speaking, all I'm feeling is thorns and I'm just uncomfortable. And I asked the fellows, said, you want to start the Bible Institute again? None of the guys were interested in full-time ministry. First time. I'll introduce you to the preachers out of our church in just a minute. And so I'm feeling very unwell, and I'm thinking, and the Holy Spirit said, you are not supposed to take missionary money and just pastor on the field. Many people do that. Many people do that. And it's not right. Uh, missionaries don't get paid to simply pastor on the field. And so it, my justification for being where I was was we were producing preachers that were going out and starting other churches. And so long as I had Timothys, there was no sense in moving. But now I don't have any Timothys, and I don't know why. And I know now, because hindsight's 2020, um, and interestingly enough, this is 2020, and not trying to be funny, but it is interesting. You see very clearly now. And uh, so I'm feeling very, very strange. You know, we've got a young adult choir, and we've got all kinds of things happening, men's meetings and women's meetings. And that was one of our last men's meetings in our kitchen. We learned how to julienne paprika and all kinds of crazy stuff, and uh, witnessed to, to some guys that we brought in there. And we got really, really good. As a, as a fisherman uh, puts a worm on a hook, so likewise we put mashed potatoes and gravy on, on a plate, and we got Germans to come. Uh, Germans, one thing that I learned later on is that Germans were raised with Unser Kleine Farm, which is Little House on the Prairie, but in German. And you haven't lived until you've seen Michael Landon say, Ach du Schatzi, hol mal den Trutan aus den Ofen. Kurz, lass uns schnell beten. It, wasn't, there, wasn't there a sister in here that speaks German? She left. Good. <laughs> Because what I just said, I messed up the grammar. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, so we got very, very good at getting people in church. And uh, <clears throat> that was our fellowship hall before we had it tiled off. And it was, it was a blessing. And another thing just the Lord did was, uh, how long have you been here, brother? Four years. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm here at this time about 19 years. And little bitty cute little girls that I used to carry around like sacks of taters. That's sacks of potatoes for those of you not out of the, out of the south. They grow up and, you know, they, they develop into women and, you know, all that stuff. And they're no longer cute little girls anymore. They're now full-grown women. And then they fall in love with stinky boys. And I love him and I want to get married. And, uh, <laughs> Y'all know what I mean? Y'all not laughing. That's, that's what happens when God breaks your heart. You know, you raise them up, you, you birth them, and there you are. You're powdering their bottoms and you're, you're, you're holding their hand and praying with them through sixth grade and eighth grade, and then they get a crush, and you've got to go through all that. At some point, they fall in love with some stinky banker, 
and say, I want to marry him, and then you got to marry him. And so we married off a whole bunch of girls and, and boys from our church that year. And Stefan married, uh, married one of the girls that grew up in our church, and that was their uh, reception. And so here I am now, and I know I'm, I'm quite convinced that the Lord is finished with me here. Uh, I would do things like, I found myself, another reason that I felt like I was finished, I'm now looking at a German congregation, <clears throat> and I'm telling stories like back from the 70s. Well, when I was a kid, we used to pour our old truck oil along the fence line just to kill the weeds. And all these Germans go, ach du nein, ah, you know. <laughs> The environment, oh no, that is not good. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, man. And then I told a story one time how I shot a squirrel with a 22 about 300 yards in an oak tree. I hit him in the left eye. And at that point, most guys in America, they say, glory to God, that's a cool pastor. Amen. Woo. We love our pastor. He can shoot a squirrel in the left eye 300 yards. And all the German men went, ach du nein, ah, so, the little squirrel, oh, the squirrel, it is all. <laughs> and I just thought, man, you know, come on. I mean, how much more German do I have to be? And it just, I just came to the conclusion, these people need a German pastor. They don't need a redneck as a pastor anymore. <laughs> and so... So I said, okay, listen, I told our church, I said, listen, before I go, I didn't, I didn't say this, but in my mind, I said, before I go, listen, God's given us a big, beautiful building. It's paying for itself. And also, you know, I'm sitting in my office one day and, and the Lord said, how's that bookstore? And I'm like, what? And I looked over the bookstore. I said, man, it's beautiful. Walking through the building, that's a beautiful bookstore. The Lord says, pretty good, huh? And he said, how many guys you got on, how many guys you got in the ministry? And I literally, because I hadn't thought about it, I really was not keeping tally. And I went, Kaiser, uh, this one, that one, I don't want to say their names for the recording. And, uh, and I went, six. And he said, who you got on staff? And I said, seven. And then it dawned on me, he said, you remember that prayer you prayed? Not to be confused with the prayer my mom prayed. And, uh, and I went, yeah. The Lord said, I've given you it all, you're done here. And I went, man, I don't want to be done here. And in my flesh, I thought, well, I want to stay and enjoy the fruits of my labor. I want to, I, want to, I mean, this is what every preacher longs for, you know, to build a work. And uh, more, more than half the people in the congregation I led to Christ, those are my kids. And, and many of the guys are out in their own pulpits now. I led them to Christ. And, and the Lord said, you're done here. And I didn't want to be done there. I mean, see, t t almost 30 years ago, the Lord slid a big anvil in front of me that was embossed across the side of it, Deutschland. And I thought I was just going to be hammering on that anvil till Jesus came. But the Lord changed things, and, and it was very difficult for me. So I told our church, I said, listen, God's given us a big, beautiful building. And I said, let, let, let's, let's explore what we can do with this building. What a shame to only have services on Sundays and Wednesdays. Let's see what we can do. So we put on a big VBS, and the local German government found out that we were doing it. They called and said, they said, Mr. Castello, we heard you're putting on a thing for kids this summer. I mean, really, this really happened. There's no, no embellishments here. Uh, and they said, we'd like to pay for the drinks and for the snacks. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm in the twilight zone. This isn't, Baptists aren't supposed to have a good relationship with their local authorities. We're supposed to be rebellious and against everybody, you know. <laughs> and I thought, this is fantastic. And so, yeah, sure, they brought the drinks by, and, and we put on a nice VBS, and the kids came. And that's Mark, who I led to the Lord. He's teaching the kids. And that's Timothy, his, his son. It's turned 16, got saved. Tremendous salvation testimony. 
And just all kinds of people from all different kinds of walks of life, still getting saved, wonderful testimony. This guy's a witnessing machine. Again, you're talking about Michael Landon speaking German. You haven't lived till you've seen, uh, you know, a Filipino guy. Ach, du Schande, ah! It's just weird. Those eyes are not supposed to be speaking that language. And there's a German guy studying to be a doctor at the University of Heidelberg. And uh, this girl, she has a master's degree, speaks four languages. Just really sharp people in our church. We put on a, um, a Bible exhibition and we put the, uh, a model of the, um, or a replica of the Gutenberg printing press in our foyer. And there's our bookstore there to the right. And the mayor came. And the mayor gave me a check for 500 euros, which is about uh, 3.8 liters. No, I'm kidding. It's about, it's about $600. And I said, Mr. Mayor, what's this for? He said, discretionary funding, I can do it. I said, okay, I understand. Budgetarily, I understand that you have freedom to do this, but why are you doing this? He said, Mr. Castello, you took one of the biggest, ugliest buildings in the middle of town. You increased property prices. We're happy you're here. I'm going, do, 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 do. I'm having an out-of-body experience looking back and saying, what's going on? And he says, you're doing a great job, and, and, and we're happy you're here. And I'm saying, thanks, 500 euros, wonderful. Gave us a plate to the city. He printed the 23rd Psalm on the press. He did a photo op, and there's Stefan, my loyal German assistant. And uh, this thing we put on, uh, and the reason I'm showing you this is just to show you, sort of inspire you maybe a little bit with a little bit of creativity. If regular door knocking doesn't work and maybe street ministry doesn't work or whatever it is that you guys do to try to get people in, you have to find something creative to get people to come in the doors. And so we would target various demographics. And uh, one of them, not the least of which, was, uh, was this. Um, it was Luther's 500-year anniversary of, of nailing the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Castle door. And so we put up flyers every... I mean, we put up big uh, um, uh, posters, big A1 posters all over the city, um, and, and with the mayor's approval, I had the mayor on speed dial. He let us do almost anything we wanted to do. It was just amazing. We put it in the local newspaper, in the regional newspaper. And in a period of two weeks, we had 300 registered visitors who came through. And each one of them received a one-hour live witness about this gospel uh, presentation. Left side, did God ever say anything? And then through the ages, 10th station is, you must be born again. And they came to us. We had 300 people in a two-week period. I mean, show me a church that you've seen do that lately. 300 people receiving a one-hour live witness. Not just a gospel track or an invitation to church. And so uh, we did a thing called Christ in Politics. With, uh, this is Alternative für Deutschland right here. That's kind of like the Tea Party uh, after Obama. And then the Merkel, when she let in a million Muslims, there was an uprising of the conservative Germans, and they ended up coming to our church, and we ended up going to there. So things started becoming very political in the end, which is, again, I don't know if you're at that age yet or not, but brother, when you start hitting a certain age, you start realizing we can have a real influence on who gets elected around here. We can have an influence on policy. Uh, we could even make this a dry county if we, if we had enough people. And, 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 and. Would that be all right with you all at Tri-County? Okay. All right. yes. And um, <clears throat> we did Christ in politics. And we, we found a saved <laughs> politician. And we, invite, we invited him to our church. And he gave his uh, testimony of why God wanted him in politics, how he got saved. 
That was a local dentist asking questions. And so we sang hymns. They got the gospel. Again, the news media was there. It was a big to-do. And I just trying to teach our church, look, we've got this big, beautiful property. Let's populate it. Let's be creative and find ways of getting people into church that otherwise wouldn't come. And we were very, very successful at it. And that made it hard to leave too. And so we did also traditional street ministry. And I don't know what your thoughts about street ministry is. Not every town is really uh, ideal for it. But uh, our ideas of street ministry was not bulging eyes and veins and telling everybody they're going to fry like a sausage and scaring them to death. But our, our idea of street ministry was to be entreating and to actually preach on the street. I told our guys, smile when little kids come by. Give them happy memories of street preachers. Then also had God die Welt geliebt, dass er seinen eingeborenen Sohn gab, auf das alle, die an ihm glauben, nicht verloren werden, sondern das ewige Leben haben. Glauben Sie an den Herrn Jesus Christus, so wirst du selig. People would come, Germans, inquisitive town, university town, they'd ask questions. And uh, <coughs> Stefan is a, uh, an, a true intellectual. He is, uh, um, I've met a lot of preachers that are pseudo-intellectuals, wannabe intellectuals. Stefan is the real deal. I mean, just a really smart guy and assimilates and acquires information very, very quickly. One of the best students I've ever had. And he's a street preacher, speaks four languages. And uh, we would go out on the town, out on the street uh, about once a month, take about 60 people with us. And you could not get through town without somebody witnessing to you. And it was just wonderful. And, um, and so I told him, I, I tried to teach him creative soul winning, creative financing, Creative soul winning. By the way, we stayed in the black the whole time. We never had to ask supporting churches for money. Uh, we did everything on the field. We came up with money. And I'll show you more about that in a minute. But I t Stefan comes to me one day and he says, he says, Pastor, I've got an idea. Let me run it by you. And I went, okay. And I went, no, because I'm thinking, you know what? I'm leaving. He's going to do one day whatever he wants to anyway. Brother, don't tell me. Just do it. And I'm like, oh, Lord. So the next thing I see is body parts showing up at church. Fred, the mannequin, a leg a torso, a head, a stretcher, a white sheet. What are y'all doing? <laughs> white sheets, uh-uh, what? And so we go out to the street meeting and there's everybody carrying a body part and everything. And I'm saying, what are these guys doing? And I noticed five of them were dressed in perfect black, men in black. They didn't have black shades, but black suits. And um, four of them were pallbearers. They put Fred together, covered him with a white sheet. And they very ceremoniously picked him up and they marched down through the streets of Heidelberg and the trumpeter was the fifth one. He was playing taps or playing the funeral music and uh, death march or whatever. And, uh, and, and everybody's watching. Germans are curious. Here's a fun fact. In the German language, there is no difference between the word nosy and curious. Just a fun fact. And they're, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're watching and a little crowd gathers and Stefan gets to the appointed place. They had mapped the whole thing out. And Stefan says, hup, and sit it down. And Stefan stand, now he, he studied philology. It's Germanistic. He can take a ninth century text and explain to you all the orthographic emendations. If you don't know what that means, that just shows how smart he is and how dumb you are. <laughs> He's a smart guy. I mean, he, he can do what I call the etymological dance. I mean, boy, he does it well. And so he stood up and he folded his hands just so in proper German form and fashion. He said, meine Damen und Herren, heute ist eine Tragödie passiert. Dieser arme Mann ist gerade gestorben. He said, ladies and gentlemen, this a tragedy has happened today. This poor man has died and gone into eternity. And he went into eternity without Christ. And there's all these Germans standing around. 
And I'm watching. I have nothing to do with this. These are Germans using a mannequin to preach to Germans on the street. And I'm just thinking, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm so proud of my children. You know, you show me pictures of your first baby's first birthday, you know, with cake everywhere and all that. These are my babies. And they're preaching on the street and they're finding a creative way to get a little crowd together. And he continues to preach. And essentially, in essence, he preaches the eulogy of a mannequin on the street and tells them the gospel and they pass out tracts and they get numbers and people come to church and just fantastic. And I'm standing off on the side and the Lord says, see, you're finished. They don't need you anymore. I don't know how many of you have had 18, 19 year old kids, but at some point they drive off and it says just married or they're going off to college. And you realize that the role you played in their life is not ever going to be the same. It changes. Everything changes. And I don't know if you about you, but there have been a few times in my life where I've gotten to where the bills are paid and we got a little extra money and the church is right and everybody's happy and the songs are great and the music is great and you just want to take a Polaroid and stay right there. You know what I mean? You just want to stay right there, but life changes. Kids grow up, people get mad, people get angry, they change, people come, people go, and it's time for me to leave. So... That was our street ministry up close, and uh, that was a little bit further away, and that's what the town looked like we worked in. That's a a strip downtown mall there. And we printed literature, all kinds of literature. That's a book by Dave Hunt called um, uh, What Love Is This? We translated it, and my wife went to the Heidelberg um, University and got the original quotes from Calvin and uh, and all that and did a lot of work. My wife, is is she was class president university and all that. She's real smart, too. Five years of Latin quoting the Gaelic Wars and all that stuff. She studied Russian and who knows, my Europeans. (laughs) You know, there's a joke internationally. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Everybody okay? I could tell when I walked in here, this is my kind of church. Uh, And and, and he said, said, what do you call somebody who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call somebody who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call somebody who speaks one language? American. (laughs) <laughs> so my wife translated these books and uh, these books went to Austria, Switzerland, Liechtenstein, Germany. They went to New Zealand. They went to uh, Chihuahua, Mexico, where there's German settlements. Uh, we book- printed a book called uh, what, uh, How to, tr- to Train Up a Child, put it in German, Wie man eine Knaben gewohnt. And that thing went like hotcakes all over the place. And basically, we are distilling truth through Amazon.de, which is the German equivalent of Amazon.com, and through EMPGermany.com. And our books are still going out to this day. I get regular reports of how many books go out. The guys are still doing it. And the Lord said, see, you're done. And so there's, our, there's one of our many shelves of, of stock. And the wife's bookstore turned out fantastic. This is her baby. And uh, all kinds of wonderful material and just very professional. And yes, we sold I Love Jesus bumper stickers and we sold coffee cups, and, you, and some people say, well, see there, you're just running a business. Not really, because somebody would be making money if we were running a business. We put all that money back into the ministry so that we don't have to ask you guys to send more money so we do our job. And I, I'm an tr- absolute believer in not being a moochinary. If you're going to do something on the field, find the money. Be creative. Come up with it. We put 61 kilowatt peak uh, on our roof because we had a big flat roof, and that thing brought 600 extra euros a month. And then we rented out some parking spots, and that brought in a couple of hundred euros. I mean, we ended up with a couple of thousand euros in passive income. Why? Because we just tried to. And 
It just stopped us from being one of those. I have two missionaries that we supported or back in our church supports. And I know every time their envelope lands on my desk, I'm going to open it up and say, I need more money. I need more. I know missionaries need money. I mean, I'm a missionary and I'm hoping you're going to give me some money. (laughs) But... It's true. I mean, it takes money to get things done. But, but again, here's my point. Here's the greater point, all joking aside. The church was carrying itself. The church didn't need me anymore. The church, the church was never carried by me anyway. I worked it out financially so that when I left, there was, no, there was no sense or loss or anything like that. And so, again, the Lord's dealing with me just being done. And, and just it was a wonderful time and, and beautiful. And it was very, very difficult to leave. This was my Swiss, um, my Swiss assistant. Uh, he ran our EMP and also worked as my assistant, was on staff. He took a church 20, uh, sorry, two, three hours south of us, about 25 adults that I started. He took over that and has since started two others. And this is uh, Master Sergeant Ortiz. He's now down in Nolan, Texas, pastoring Iglesia Bautista Yo Quiero Taco Bell. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, that was his startup, and now they're in their own building. This is Kenny Murphy. He had two years of Bible Institute in Florida. And uh, he finished his third year of Bible Institute with us. He has a German wife uh, right to there. And um, that's now his church building. And they have about twice as many as you see on there. This is Brother Matt Kaiser. I knocked on his door in 1996. He's pastoring in uh, Missouri. This is Brother Brown and his wife. I led them to Christ in 2009. Their four daughters, uh, two, two of the girls are now moved out of the house. One's married. And they all got saved. And now he's pastoring that was their startup. Now they're in their own building, which I don't have a picture for. And when you let the Lord do what he wants to do, it's just really remarkable over the years how the Lord can, can multiply and do things that we could never do if we paid somebody. And so <clears throat> the last one I want to show you is not actually a man in full-time ministry, but uh, I led him to Christ in 2011. He's a German. And uh, he goes down. He has a Rwandan wife. And so he goes down there, and, and uh, he got on national television last time. And so again, just very, very funny. He's preaching in English. He's a chubby German white man, uh, white man and, and he preaches, you must have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And they put him on TV and broadcast him all across Rwanda. Just amazing, amazing. <laughs> the things the Lord uses. And so that, again, that's not necessarily our crowd, but uh, he's preaching the gospel and uh, that guy's good. Now that's what Stefan looked like when he came to us. I don't know if y'all are fans of Jack Hiles or not, but he said something that's pretty funny, not funny, but he, he said, he said, wet him. Uh, he said, sorry, he said, win them, wet them, work them. <laughs> and so we worked Stefan until his character uh, rang true. And today he's the pastor of uh, Bible Baptist Church. We turned it over to him. We left about six months ago. We've been on the road. And something interesting happened while the Lord was dealing with me. This brother called. This is also my son in the faith. I led him to Christ in 2006. He got transferred to Hawaii. That's where the connection comes in. He says, hey, pastor, why don't you come over and visit me? Now, in the middle of this building thing, I am completely worn out. I lost my marbles. It was really tough. I'm not being funny. It was a really, really arduous, difficult time. And uh, he calls me and he says, he says, why don't you come over to Hawaii, free room and board, take my second vehicle. I said, brother, I'm going to have to pray about this. When do you want me there? (laughs) And I thought this was the Lord giving me a break to just get some vitamin D, soak tank up on some sunshine. But the Lord had something else in mind that was very difficult for me to come to terms with. Uh, because I feel basically like the same knee-jerk reaction that a lot of people have. Hawaii? Oh, sure. I'd like to go to Hawaii. Pay me to go to Hawaii. You know, that kind of a thing. And I thought, Lord, there's just no way. This, th- what is this? This doesn't even make sense. So I get over there, and, and I start looking around. And after about three years 
of vetting the whole process. And I put out five fleece, and the Lord answered every one of them. So we are going to Hawaii. <clears throat> it's very different. Uh, you'll never see that on Waikiki uh, flyers. It's run by Democrats, and uh, Democrats don't know how to run things. They need to get saved and trust Jesus. Nancy Pelosi is demon-possessed. Amen. Oh, this is being broadcast, isn't it? Let me say it louder. <laughs> and uh, that really, that, that's what happens when Democrats run things. That's not the way a man's supposed to live. And yet, there are 50,000 troops there. Air Force, Army, Marines, Coast Guard. All of them are there. Navy, I left that one out. And uh, maybe the Space Force, who knows? The military is all over the place there. And when I got there, I just, I, I could talk another 30 minutes and I won't about how I vetted it and how I, who I talked to. I spoke with local pastors. Everybody pointed to the North Shore. They said there's nothing on the North Shore of Oahu. And uh, so that's where we're aiming towards. And uh, <clears throat> just about finished here. One of the greatest reasons to have a Bible-believing, soul-winning missionary in Hawaii is, could you imagine how much different those eight years would have been instead of meeting Jeremiah Wright if he had met Jesus? You know, Jeremiah Wright said, God bless America. No, no, no. God beep America. And that was our president for eight years. And he was schooled in Hawaii. And I, I, I want to spend these last few minutes just giving you these ideas. That is not make America great again. We do have a different president. And I'm glad he got elected and she didn't. Very thankful for that. He said, why are we sending our sons and our grandsons overseas to Syria, Iraq, and Iran to so try and solve problems that they themselves have not been able to solve for 3,000 years? Why are we spending American tax money to asphalt their roads and build their bridges and their infrastructure when ours are falling apart? I've been out of the country for 30 years, and every time I come back to America, I find that fewer and fewer regular Christians witness you give out a tract to your church and say, come visit us. We're having Friend Sunday. That's nice. But how many Christians are, are skilled or willing or courageous enough to simply open the Bible and say, hey, neighbor, can I show you how the Lord saved me? Christians don't do that anymore. 20 years ago, they did. They did more of them did it. It's great that you pass out tracts, but when's the last time you opened up a Bible and yeah, it made somebody a little bit uncomfortable and showed them that they were lost. Christians don't do that anymore. Nowadays, Christians don't go to all the meetings anymore. Every church I go to, they say, well, brother, it's a Sunday night, so we're going to about have half, half of what we had on Sunday morning. And I always scratch my head and say, why? How come Jesus lives inside of you, the same Jesus lives inside of me? Why don't you want to be with the saints? I don't understand that. And I'm glad you're here. And man, the fact that we're in the middle of Corona and y'all are here, that's great. That's great. Makes me want to kiss you with a holy kiss. I'll refrain. <laughs> Make America godly again. I know every foreign missionary can't do what I'm doing, but the Lord dealt with me in a very specific way. Go to one of the darkest places in America. Go to the 50th state run by Democrats, lefter and more liberal than California, and see if you can make a difference. And so I'm 48 years old. I figure I've got maybe 20, 25 years left in me, depending on how my health holds out. And uh, I've made a contribution to the body of Christ, and I would like to do something for my own country before I'm gone, before I'm done. And while America's sinking, I want to jump in and try to make a difference, see if we can raise up another generation of more preachers to, to win the next crowd, maybe, maybe even affect policy. 
maybe even affect policy in one of the most liberal states in our union. And so the very last thing I want to do with you is show you this last development. This is brand new. That's Hawaii. That's Oahu. Uh, that is, uh, oop, well, that is Waialua. There's a property right there, right there, right there, right there, <laughs> right there. And uh, it's an odd-shaped property. It's two acres. It's right off of the main thoroughfare. It's right there, that green part. And it's right on a little river back here. And um, it's for sale. And the price is right. And Miss Angie and I would really be living like missionaries instead of 28-centimeter walls in Germany uh, with highly designed everything. We'd probably end up living in a yurt. Uh, that's a yurt, by the way. And um, that property's for sale, and we are in the process right now of doing our due diligence to see if we can buy it, live on it, and put ourselves on a trajectory to starting a church on the North Shore. Uh, the sale of my house in Germany m will help facilitate this purchase. Um, and so I'm trying to be creative in the way we do all of this. And uh, so I'd like to end by saying we are going to Hawaii. Uh, we're not going um, uh, to, to retire, not yet. Uh, we're going to work. And by the grace of God, we want to reach more of our military. I love the military. Uh, I'm going to have to lose weight. They're not going to respect me if I don't. And uh, this is live, isn't it? Mm. And I said that, didn't I? So we want to try and win them. And uh, by the grace of God, and, and listen, uh, who goeth a warfare at his, char at his own charges? And um, in as much as the military are paid for going forward, so likewise, I would ask you guys to consider uh, praying for us, taking a prayer card. It's a strange thing, I know. Pray for us, we're going to Hawaii. Ha, ha, ha. But there's 1.4 million people that live there out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. They will die in paradise, and they'll go to hell from paradise. And there are 12 million others. Uh, the preacher I was with this morning, Brother um, First, told me the Sturgis biker thing. He said, he said uh, up almost a million people come through, and they witness to them. I know a guy came through there. Just a neat story. And so likewise, 12 million people go through, uh, through Hawaii every year on vacation. So I know we're going to have a lot of visitors. Everybody jokes and says, Brother, well, not only are we going to support you, but we're going to come visit you on the mission field. And you're welcome. Come on. Um, but I wish that you'd please pray for us. And if you're at all able in your budget, if you'd consider maybe supporting us, we'd be very, very thankful.